0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Welcome to our guests and uh, to our students. Just want to remind you that uh, we are praying for you often. Uh, my wife and I were uh, even this morning praying for you as we uh, hurdle towards the end of the semester before we know it. Thanksgiving break will be here, and it's all downhill, actually running downhill after that. Uh, And so uh, the semester has been moving along uh, quite rapidly. I want to thank the students for giving us a great semester thus far. We've had a great, what what a great fall sports season, huh? Across the board. Those teams, great. Uh, Great activities and events uh, already, uh, many uh, yet on the horizon as we approach the holiday season, and so lots of work going on behind the scenes. But I want to thank those students that are involved in athletics and the arts and student associations and clubs across the campus. Uh, Thank you for all you've done to make this a a great semester. Uh, This morning, I want to continue with the series, The Marks We Bear. Uh, I want to uh, talk this morning about the mark of compassion uh, and uh, look at a few passages of scripture, zero in on a specific example uh, from the Lord Jesus' life, and then talk about the implications for you and I as we think about what it means to be followers of Jesus and bear the marks of Jesus so that we and those around us know that we are truly his followers. We started this semester looking at that by looking at those words, actually, from the Apostle Paul, who said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. And what Paul was referencing to, as we've been saying all semester, is that he actually was bearing in his body the physical scars of a follower of Jesus. Paul had been beaten and left for dead, shipwrecked and imprisoned, hungry, impoverished, All of those things took a toll on Paul's body, but he considered them the marks of Jesus because Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, was tested in every way like us. He is a perfect confidant and counselor, a perfect Savior, because he knows what it is that we're going through. And Paul identified that he bore the marks of Jesus in his body, knowing that Jesus had borne the marks of his faith and obedience to God. And so what I've been trying to do all semester is help us to think in a fresh way about assessing our followership of jesus do we bear the marks of jesus not necessarily those physical marks though some of us do and some of our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution even this day are bearing the physical marks of following jesus but paul references the marks in his body but also the spiritual marks that he was bearing as a follower of jesus we looked at the mark of obedience what would compel paul to continue on in the face of such adversity, his obedience, which was derived from his faith in God. We looked at the mark of forgiveness, that we of all Christians should be forgiving, of all people should be forgiving, because as Christians we have been forgiven much. Then we looked last time at the issue of selflessness, that we bear in our bodies and in our walk with Jesus the mark of selflessness, because Jesus himself bore that mark. It was a quality that he exhibited and one that we're called to exhibit as well. This morning, I want to look at this mark of compassion. Compassion. Some of you know that term. You use that term. You're familiar with the culture's awareness of that term, to act with compassion, to think compassionately about others, to pity or have empathy or sympathy for those who are hurting and suffering. Christian ministry that my wife and I have supported for years, Compassion International, reaches out with compassion to children who are starving around the world. It's a very important quality for us as Christians to think about and to ruminate on, to meditate upon, and to put into practice in our own lives. Compassion is a Christian virtue, not simply because the Bible references it, but because God is a compassionate God. And Jesus showed compassion to people and to you and I as his followers, and we as Christians are the beneficiaries of God's compassion. The psalmist testifies, as Dean Porcello read for us, That God shows compassion on his people and those who fear him. Romans 8 tells us God has compassion on those whom he will have compassion on. Compassion is a quality of God. He looks at us in our hurting and our suffering and is moved. Moved to love and to care and to act. So we as Christians think about what does it mean for us to bear this mark, as a follower of Jesus, the mark of compassion. The dilemma for us always is, as we've been talking all semester, is this is a term that we use in our daily lives. Our culture talks about the issue of compassion. We sometimes get the issue of compassion confused with other kinds of things. Compassion is much more than having pity. Compassion is being moved to care and ultimately to act. It isn't just to look on someone in a condescending and pitiful way. It is actually to be moved to care to love and to act accordingly. It is not, compassion is not simply a human relations strategy. Boy, just think how far you'll get in the world if you could just convince people that you were compassionate. That's not good enough for us who are followers of Jesus. Using it as a strategy or a tactic to advance our own will, our own initiative, our own ambitions, our own goals, that's not what the Bible teaches. Compassion is not just a human relation strategy or tactic. It's a genuine, authentic response to the suffering and hurting of others. We see this in the life of Jesus. You don't have to look very far. You do a simple word search on your own, on the word compassion, and you'll see all kinds of examples where the disciples actually record for us that Jesus looked out on people and had compassion. He was moved by what he saw. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus looks out on the crowds, Matthew testifies, Jesus looked out on the crowd and was moved to compassion. Why? Because he saw them as helpless sheep, sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks on people, he sees what they are experiencing. He knows that they're lost and confused, he knows that they're hurting. And he's moved, not just to have pity in some condescending way, but to actually show compassion, to demonstrate love and care for them. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, Jesus looks out on the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000. And the Bible says, Matthew records for us, that he was moved to compassion when he looked on the crowd and met their need. In fact, more specifically in Matthew 15, when Jesus feeds the 4,000, this is what we see. It says that Jesus looked out on them and had compassion and actually told the disciples, I have compassion on them. I'm concerned. And he tells us exactly why. They've been three days following us without food. It isn't just that Jesus looks out and in some condescending or contrived way says, I have compassion. He looked out, and Matthew records for us very specifically, he saw that they were hungry and tired and said, let us meet that need. He didn't do it to keep the crowd with him because he drove them off just a few verses later when he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. He didn't use it as a marketing gimmick, he didn't use it as a trick, it wasn't a tactic, it wasn't a strategy, he looked out and saw people who were hungry and said, let us feed them. Jesus is a compassionate Lord. He looks out and sees the hurting and suffering of those around him, and his love compels him then to care, to have concern, and to act accordingly. Jesus sees, in every case, it's very interesting what the disciples record, and Jesus looked out and saw the crowd and had compassion. Jesus looked and saw and had compassion. Jesus was confronted by this group, saw their need, and was moved to compassion. The disciples record for us over and over again that Jesus sees, brothers and sisters, if you think your hurts are beyond the sight of Jesus, you are mistaken. He sees If you think your sense of confusion, your suffering, your hurting, whatever it is in your past, Jesus sees. Jesus sees, and he cares. And the disciples record this for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us that Jesus sees and is compassionate. And I would like to look at a specific picture of Jesus' compassion, one we don't often associate with this quality of Jesus, in John chapter 11. I want to zero in on a particular verse in John chapter 11, because it's intrigued me my whole Christian life. I remember being at the Christian camp where I was working and was a program director, and we used to say that the table, uh, they would memorize scripture, and if you memorize a particular passage of scripture, uh, that you could um, uh, find your way uh, to the front of the line to get your food. And one very clever group, it happened almost every summer, memorizes John 11:35, the shortest verse in all of the Bible right? What is it? Jesus. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in all the Bible. Two words, John eleven 35. I've always been intrigued by that verse. Jesus wept, not just because it bolsters, you know, another notch in your Bible memorization p- portfolio, but Jesus wept is a very powerful idea. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept when and where. Well, John eleven thirty-five records for us in this brief record that Jesus wept, which means Jesus was moved. Well, you know the story, right? In John 11, what we have is Jesus is moved because he knows that there's a problem with his friends. John chapter 11 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, two people close to Jesus. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let me just pause a moment here. We've said this many times. When you are reading the scripture, make no mistake, everything that Jesus says is with full knowledge of everything that not is happening but will happen. When Jesus says this is an illness that, leads, that does not lead to death, he's not making the prognosis or the diagnosis of a physician. He's making the diagnosis as the God of all creation. He says this illness will not lead to death. He's not redefining Lazarus' illness. He's redefining the idea of death, because later he says what? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. He's not saying, well, what you described doesn't sound all that bad. What he's saying is, even if he dies, I've got this. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Ask yourself why. He let Lazarus linger for two days to suffer and his sisters to watch him fading away. And after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, if that's true, then Jesus knew what was going on. He is omniscient, after all. And he knows that waiting two days is going to lead to Lazarus' physical death. Mary and Martha are going to go through a literal grieving process. We know later from the passage that the Jews are going to gather around in their tradition of sending mourners to the home. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Hey, we can't go there. They're going to get us. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble but because he, he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In other words, disciples, look, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Later he says here, I am the resurrection and the life. Just come with me. Stop worrying about the consequences. Stop worrying about the circumstantial trials and sufferings that you will encounter. Don't worry about getting stoned. We're going here because I said we're going here. Our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will will recover. (laughs) Right? Jesus, if he's just sleeping, he'll be fine. Do we really need to go and put ourselves at risk? If he's fallen asleep, Lord, he'll recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought he was talking to him about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Interesting, the doubting Thomas here says, No, no, let's go with Jesus. And so they go. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother so when mary heard that jesus was coming she went to him and met him but mary remained in the house martha said to jesus lord if you had been here our brother would not have died even now i know that whatever you ask of god god will give you and jesus said to her your brother will rise again martha said to him i know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day jesus said to her no i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this?" She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. When she said this, she went away and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And you know what happens? They go running off. The weeping Jews are gathered around. Everybody's wondering what is going on. It's a very real picture of what has happened. These two women are suffering. They've lost their brother to an illness that Jesus could have staved off. He'd healed many, many people. They called for him in time, and he did not come until this day after Lazarus was dead. We also know that not only is the suffering real, but the circumstances real. He's been in the grave four days. The Scripture testifies he's been in the grave four days. He's been dead four days. How do we know it? Not only does it tell us Jesus wept, it tells us Lazarus stinks. He's been in the tomb four days. He stinketh, the King James said. Right. Lazarus is dead. Jesus, the Son of God, is coming to raise him up again. It's in that context that we see what happens. Jesus weeps, John eleven thirty five. 35. Why? Why? I've been thinking about this for as long as I've been ruminating on this for for decades. Jesus weeps. Why does Jesus weep? He knows. He knew Lazarus was sick, and he knew that he had the power to heal him or to raise him. He stayed two days longer knowing that Lazarus would die. When he shows up, is he surprised? Why is he weeping? Is he weeping because Lazarus died? He's about to raise him from the dead, and he knows that. Is he weeping because, the, 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 because he's worried that he's not going to pull it off? Come on. He's the son of God. He knows he's going to pull this off. I'm the resurrection. Why is he weeping? He's weeping because they are weeping. He is weeping because Mary and Martha watched their, their brother's life slip away. He's weeping because those two women laid him in a tomb expecting never to see him again until the last day. He's weeping because they were hurting. They were suffering. They had experienced loss. Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five, not because he doesn't know what's about to happen, not because Lazarus died, not because he's taking a gamble, not because of any of those things. He weeps because they weep. That's the Lord we follow. Jesus wept because they were weeping. He had compassion on them. He was moved. Jesus loves these two and their brother, the Scripture said. He knows them. He shows compassion. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. Everybody here gets it all wrong. The Jews are weeping. Mary and Martha are weeping. Everybody thinks that Lazarus is irretrievably gone and in the grave. Jesus knows, yet he weeps because they weep. Well, what does that mean? What is that is an outworking of Jesus' compassion. If compassion is caring for and being concerned for the hurting and suffering of others... Jesus, we see it right here in the raising of Lazarus. It isn't just that he's shutting the Jews and Pharisees up. He's put his disciples at peril. We're going to go there, but they're going to stone us. It doesn't matter. We will bear the marks of your Savior in continuing to do what God wants us to do. We're not concerned about consequences. We're not concerned about circumstances. We're going to go and raise this man from the dead. The greater glory of God is at stake. But listen, in the midst of all of those theological realities, people hurt, and Jesus is not indifferent he wept because they were weeping I think it's funny the Apostle Paul is given I I often think of the Apostle Paul as this sort of stoic stalwart strong figure not given over to emotion not whimpering not cowering not faltering not shirking what is in front of him I always take great comfort from the the strength of Paul that is exhibited the strength of his faith how he perseveres and endures and keeps on going and even at the end says he's being poured out like a drink offering yet he keeps on preaching but if you don't read these letters that Paul wrote as letters to real people you miss this that at the close of almost every one Paul wants a greeting to be expressed. He wants a prayer to be expressed. He wants someone to go and to minister to someone else. The apostle Paul looked out with compassion on his brothers and sisters who were hurting and suffering. He wants them to bless and encourage one another. He wants them to care for one another. He cares for them. Even the apostle Paul is exhibiting the compassion of Jesus. He sees the hurting and suffering of those around and is moved by it. Which is why I think under the inspiration of the Spirit in Colossians 3 he writes this to those Christians as a manifestation of your Christian life then and the fact that you have put together sin and earthly pleasures and you become a new creature, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. We've read this passage before this semester. Put on as God's chosen, holy and beloved ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, kindness, kindness. I think about compassion and I think about this reality. It requires something of us, requires something of me and something of you. It requires empathy, not just sympathy, not just pitying someone, saying, whew, they got it bad, I feel sorry for them. Empathy is the ability to feel what someone else is feeling, to actually appreciate what someone is going through. Compassion requires empathy But it requires something else respect for the other person we don't care when someone is suffering if we think they deserve it if they're hurting and we think they brought it on themselves or worse we have judgments against them as a group or as an individual compassion requires not just empathy but respect and genuine concern for others so i would challenge you as you look around the people who are gathered around you, don't look for compassion from those who are perpetually disrespectful and dismissive of others. And don't look for compassion from those who enjoy causing pain. Because if they enjoy causing pain, there's no way they're going to be able to identify with the pain of others. And in our culture, this is what's happened to us, we've become so accustomed to cynicism, that we actually take pleasure from inflicting pain and hurt and pass it off as funny. I was struck this last week by something there's there's no end to the troubling stuff in the news cycle right now. There's no end to it. Whether it was the the tragic event in California, Pittsburgh just before, the tensions that we experience socially and culturally and racially around political issues, no end. Last week, there was a story that really got under my skin, and it was that story about the Saturday Night Live comedian making fun of the veteran who had lost an eye. The story is that that man who was just elected to office voluntarily went to serve his country and was so injured that he lost his eye and his vision in the other eye. When he regained the vision in the one eye, he went back into combat And we dismissively made fun of and inflicted hurt on him and his family in a caricature kind of way, cynically. I wouldn't look for any compassion from that comedian or the writer or the producer of that show. Because to have compassion, you must have empathy and respect for other human beings. And when you are perpetually disrespectful and perpetually hurtful, it will be impossible for you to manifest this Christ quality. To show compassion to others means that we are empathetic and respectful and genuinely concerned. And our culture drags us into thinking that those things that actually do the exact opposite, rather than expressing concern for the hurt and suffering of others, we actually mock it and make fun of it. Whether it's a disability, which we've seen in our political culture and climate for months, if not years, or it's something like we saw on Saturday Night Live, or it's something that we say in jest, when we're actually doing the opposite of showing concern for someone who's hurting and suffering and make fun of them for it, well, you couldn't have something further from the character of Jesus. Jesus sees and is moved. He weeps because those are weeping. The same would be true for us. The Apostle Paul, who showed compassion on others, says here, put on as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts. Look, just let me be perfectly honest, the whole point of this series was to think about the marks of Jesus and assess our own state as his followers. I would say this in the most honest way possible, that when we find ourselves struggling to be compassionate, it is time for some very serious soul-searching, because it's an indication that something is seriously wrong in our walk with the Lord. If we are followers of Jesus, we are moved by what moves him. And compassion is to be a mark that we bear, because it is a mark that he bears. If we find ourselves struggling, then we need to sit down and do some serious soul searching. And if we find ourselves taking great joy from inflicting pain and hurt on others, well then, that's a whole other level of self-examination. There is time, as the Apostle Paul says, let a man, let a person examine himself. There's a time for us to do that. And if we're going to think about the marks that we bear in our hearts and our minds and our bodies as the followers of Jesus, we ought to take some time to think what are the ways in which I find myself struggling to be compassionate and to act compassionately towards those who are hurting or suffering. Why is that? Could it be that in your personal life you are hurting and suffering yourself and find that no one is exhibiting compassion to you and so it's something we shouldn't expect from one another? Oh no, in the body of Christ we should expect it from one another on a daily basis. What are the ways in which we could even now demonstrate compassion to those around us? To cut through the biting cynicism of the culture around us and show the love and concern of Jesus to one another and those around us. Our God is a great God, and he has compassion on those who fear him. And those who fear him, in turn, have compassion on others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us, for the way that you lead us according to your good purposes. For those of us that are in this room struggling physically, we pray for strength and grace equal to the task that you've set before us. For those who are feeling overwhelmed or struggling by the burdens of life and their responsibilities as students or in other roles that they have in this world, we pray that you give them grace and strength equal to their task. For those of us who are struggling because we do not feel the compassion from others, we pray that we would take solace in this truth that you and your son have shown compassion to us, that you give us your spirit to minister to us, to indwell us, and we pray that we would trust you to show us the grace and mercy and love and compassion that we need in our time of hurting. Give us the grace to trust that you do see and you do care. And Father, if we're here today and struggling with showing compassion to others, we pray that your spirit would convict us, that your spirit would convict us of the need to exhibit godly compassion towards those who are hurting and suffering. Soften our hearts that we may be known to one another and to you and to a watching world as your followers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great weekend.